The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, to introduce myself again, my name is Dave, the pastor here, and what a blessing it is to get to be here and get to have this job. So uh, I love our community. I love the way God is introducing new people into our community and, um, yeah, what the Lord's doing. It was my first time to go to camp as uh, this specific camp as a, as a sponsor, and uh, what a blessing it is to have a Webster Conference Center. It's, this, it's our nation's uh, conference center in, um, in Salina, Kansas, so it allows us to have, you know, um, lower costs because the center is already paid for by our denomination, which is great, and the food's fantastic. And um, should I switch mics? Doug, is this thing popping in and out? No, we're good. Okay. Um, and I would say the uh, the band, the speakers, um, everything at camp, the facilities, they were all fantastic. Uh, but what I want to highlight is, uh, is uh, the leaders that went and how much they love kids. Can we give them a hand for spending a week of their lives? Um, you know, adults take a week of their vacation to go and uh, sleep in bunk beds, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a delight, and the camp does a fantastic job. So I know many of you are a part of sending your own students or even at times, you know, giving an extra gift to the youth ministry to help kids go to camp. I think we sponsored, you know, over five kids this year uh, to go to camp, and, and uh, it's because you guys are generous and because you love students and love student ministry. And, and um, uh, Joel, you did a fantastic job. And, and leading us uh, throughout camp. So uh, continue to pray for that. Next week, we can hear all about it, though, right? And that's the plan? Next week, Youth Sunday. So please come. Youth, make sure you show up. Youth Sunday next week. It's going to be a blast to hear about camp and what God's doing in their lives. Um, uh, some of you guys know this. Right before I went to camp, we, my wife and I, uh, with our family, got to go to uh, the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone and go on, on, a, on the west, out west trip with the truck and the, the pop-up camper. I think that's like one of the things Americans try to do, right? We try to figure out when to do that, and we chose to do it. This is the summer we got to do it. Um, so between sports camp, that vacation, youth camp, and now I'm here, right? It's been good. It's been good. But I took a picture of the Grand Canyon to show you. And I just want to begin with this. Like, this is just one of the points that we went to. Uh, Shoshone Point is where we walked out to, and there was this huge, like, triangle thing. I mean, that thing out there is probably the size of, you know, you know 20 football fields. I mean, it's massive, and there, you see the big mountain range in the back, and it's miles across the Grand Canyon. But as I was taking pictures, you know, vertically with my phone, I realized... There's another option, right? There's that, there's that panoramic thing, and Lydia could probably tell you because I took a, another picture, the panoramic picture, and I was like, okay, panoramic picture, right, panoramic, because the sun's setting and the colors slowly change. When you scroll through my phone, it's like the same picture 400 times, but I was like, panoramic, panoramic, because I wanted to like remember the moment, but if you've been to the Grand Canyon, this is 10%. Like, this literally is, the feeling of this picture is 10% of what you get to see while you're there. And why do I tell you this today? Well, one, it was a great trip. You should go visit at some point, right? But I will, secondly, secondly is we've just spent, if you go back to the other picture, if you go up one, we've spent uh, week after week going through First uh, Corinthians, right? We've been kind of a paragraph or a section at a time, and uh, it's been delightful. It's been delightful. Uh, but this week, during our uh, 30 minutes, believe it or not, our students, you know, there's 34 of us or so in a room, uh, they're quiet for 30 minutes just with Bibles open. So what does the pastor do on that time? Well, he works on his sermon, right? So it's really, it was a good time. So what I did was I just started from the beginning just using my Bible and just going uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 1, and just worked my way through and I thought this morning, and I kind of preface what we probably happened last week, is we would just spend some time this morning reading 1 Corinthians together. We're not going to read the whole book by any means. I'm not even going to have uh, verses up on the screens. But what I would like you to do is grab a Bible. Like there's Bibles all over the room. Grab a Bible or your phone, however you're more you know, used to looking up the scriptures. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians from a, next picture, a panoramic 
perspective, a, a macro level. What is Paul trying to say as he sits down and begins to pin the words that we find in 1 Corinthians? While you're, fi- while you're finding this, this book, it's a pretty, pretty long book, while you're trying to find it, just a reminder, this was written to a church, a group of churches, a church people in a city called Corinth in Greece. Like, this is a city. It's a real city. You still go to this, this area. And there was a church there, and there's a, uh, the missionary that helped start that church named Paul uh, um, had heard of a report of things happening, and he decided to write a follow-up letter, some correspondence back and forth of, to help them better understand who uh, Jesus was. And as our theme has suggested this entire uh, season, is that we would see life through the lens of the gospel. If you put that up there for us, that's our desire is that you would recognize that you can see life, live life through the lens of the gospel. And right now, speaking of lenses, I'm using my readers. Uh, they're new. And when you take them off, it's crazy. Um, and my words are fantastic, but you're all fuzzy. So I don't know how you do this. This is my first time to do this, but since I'll be in my Bible today, I'm going to try to keep them on, and you'll just be little fuzzy people out there the whole time, okay? But my hope is is that um, depending on what you want to look at, right, you need the right lenses to see. And today, since I'm going to be reading my Bible alongside you guys, I have my Bible glasses. Sometimes I have my people glasses on, uh, but I'm not into switching. I don't know how to do that yet. I'm just 45. I'm still learning the glasses thing, right? First, this is the first season for me. So my hope is, is as you recognize we're going to be reading through 1 Corinthians today, is that we're going to try to put on the right glasses to see this life. Why are we here? What is Paul trying to say to this church? And for 2,000 years now, the church has been studying the beauty of this letter to try to find out what God would have for us. So chapter one, I'm going to put a little title. This is just my basic ideas um, as we kind of go chapter by chapter. And those Bible scholars in the room that want me to talk about every verse, we've already done that. Look back on Facebook, check it out, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to do some highlights today and just see what in the world uh, over the macro, that, 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 that panoramic shot of 1 Corinthians, what in the world is Paul trying to get across? So chapter one, stop fighting, boast only in the Lord. And many times, this is a trick, this is a, this is a Bible study trick, sometimes reading the last sentence of a chapter helps you kind of grasp what, what was the kind of goal there, because that's when they kind of get a new thought, and human beings, after Paul, begin to put numbers there so we could study his letter. Uh, Paul wasn't like, now it's time for number two, right? That wasn't him. He was just, he was just writing, right? So, but you could sometimes use that. And specifically in chapter one, we see that in the last verse of chapter one. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why is this the theme of chapter one? Well, there were these divisions that we find out uh, pretty early on in this letter that Paul is writing about. And you can see this if you look down in chapter uh, 1, verse 12. Each of one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Caesar, or I follow Christ. And he's saying, is Christ divided? You guys are all in this like fighting thing. Who's better? Who's following the right person? Who's your number one person? Who's your um, Bible teacher? And Paul's like, Stop. Stop. Boast, first and foremost, in the Lord. As you attach yourself to to people, you're breaking the very uh, message of the gospel that I've been teaching to you. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us, who are being saved. It's the power of God. This is over and over and over again. There's this folly, there's this foolishness of attaching ourselves to worldly people, to worldly wisdom, to even individuals who are under Christ as being your head, your main person. But Paul is saying, no. Our message is going to be confusing and foolish to those on the outside. But on the inside, for those that accept Jesus, it's the power of God. So stop fighting, boast only in the Lord, chapter 1. Chapter 2, here's the theme. Only know Jesus and Him 
crucified really early on. Two, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You're going to find you're going to see over and over again as we read through this book this morning, it's all about Jesus and his work and as people begin to get complicated and begin decisive, Paul's going to bring it back to, well, what about Jesus? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? What's the main thing we want to be about in church? And my hope for you, many of you who come to Neighborhood Church, that you'll say, this church is about Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. And Paul goes so far in verse 216, if you can go to that little section there, he says, have the mind of Christ. We follow him, but we also try to get in the mind of Christ, almost like the theme of our of our entire semester has been, let's see through the lens of the gospel. Let's have the eyes and the mind of Jesus as we live this life, who followed his father. And over and over again, we're going to see that you know, the ways of Jesus are going to be folly to the world. But it's the wisdom that comes from the Spirit and from God that can guide us. So chapter 2, really strongly there, only know Jesus and him crucified. Chapter 3. The focus here is in the, um, how do we stop these divisions? How do we stop this idea of who's the best teacher? And believe it or not, my very first sermon as a 22-year-old was from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I planted, that's Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. How do you fight this sort of like, I'm attached to this person so I'm better than you, or you are weaker than I because I'm so smart and wise and good. You say, guys, there is no more boasting. If there is any growth, guess who gets the glory for that? It's God. But there's a beautiful component to this section that I want to spend a moment talking about. There's watering and there is planting, and God makes things grow. Recognize that we have a small component to play, but God does the miracle. And that we can build on this foundation, verse 10 down through 15, of Jesus first, which has been the ongoing theme in each chapter. Jesus first, we build upon that, we plant, we seed, we water. And the beauty of this passage is he actually brings out there is a reward, though, for the planting and the seeding. Now, the reward for you isn't heaven. We get that through Jesus and the work that he has done. But there are eternal rewards for the work that we do. And this is in the scriptures. If you're starting to think through, how should I live my life? You know, once I'm a Christian, can I just do whatever I want? The message, even as Paul writes Romans, is like, sure, but by no means do that. Don't just live selfishly underneath this endless grace of Jesus, but it's endless. But some of you may be motivated by reward, which most of us are. I know my kids are. They don't want to clean until you put a $5 bill up in the air, right? It's like, I want to clean. Jesus. Sometimes. But the beauty of passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is we don't forget God does the growing. God makes the miracle. But we're not wasting our time seeding and planting. That's not a waste. That's actually the tools God uses to grow his kingdom. And for those who choose to be tools of God, there is a great reward for you. And personally, as somebody who gets to be in the ministry, I would say often the reward begins now. It's not the final reward, but there is a joy of seeing friends and family and neighbors fall in love with Jesus. Guys at camp this last week, we had kids invite friends to camp. These kids are Christians. They wanted their lost friends or friends who were kind of new to the faith to come to camp. And I'll tell you what, the kids that went forward to make decisions to follow Christ they were teary-eyed. They were kind of cry-baby-ish, right? But I say the people that invited them were bawling. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Because you've been praying for them. You're wanting 
you know, the, the joy of God to be in their life, they're like, just like, ah, it's like, what happened to you? It's like, it's not me, it's oh my God. You know, it's beautiful because you don't know how to, how do you explain getting to live eternity with your friends? How do you put that in an emotion? Well, it's wet. We'll just say that. It's, it's wet. It's wet-faced. But it's beautiful. And those of you guys be a part of those situations in your friends' lives, you understand, yes, there's an eternal reward, but there's some reward now. And it's the beauty of knowing that God is using you to plant and water. Chapter 4. Let's stick with the theme. Be humble. Stop boasting. Like, like what's Paul? Like, these folks, they were struggling. They were man-centered. They were struggling. They were pecking order all the time in their community. And we get this, right? This happens probably often for you at work, right? Everybody wants their boss's job, and only there's only one job there, right? There's a pecking order. Or in popularity contests in your hobbies or in your friend groups, or maybe when family reunions happen, there's like this pecking order. But my hope is in the church, it's not here. There is Jesus, and we are all under Jesus. And that is what Paul continues to say over and over again. There's arrogance in the church. They think they have it all figured out. There's a lot of sarcasm in this specific passage. But what does Paul say in 4-7? For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If, you, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is a good truth for us to know. That we begin to think we're better than other people because we, in ourselves, figured it all out on our own. And there could be some self-made people in the room. But that you have the kind of determination and initiative and drive and endurance, guess what? That's a gift from God. And this is what Paul's trying to say. When it comes to the gospel, it's something you receive. It's a gift. And my hope for us as a church is that we fall into this temptation of pecking order and think, look at all the work that I have done, but that we recognize even the way that we are, some of it's biology, some of it's culture, some of it's your family, some of it's your mind and how, what your IQ is. All of that is a gift from how God designed you and made you from the beginning. And my hope is that you would be humble and that you would not boast, but you would live a life of gratefulness. And there's a very strong verse 14 I'm sorry, 416 passage. I urge you, then, be imitators of me. This isn't the first time Paul's going to, this is the first time he's going to say it, not the last time he's going to say it. So when you live this life that's humble, you live this life that's, you only boast in the Lord and what the Lord has done. And you recognize that the people around you aren't. And they don't have many spiritual fathers. They don't have many spiritual leaders in their lives at all. And you recognize that they don't quite understand what it means to follow Jesus yet. But you know in your life that you're doing everything you can, living home, seeking the ways of God, that you would be willing to say, hey, follow me. This is convicting. This is like we could read this before every confession, right? Every confession time. Am I to the point in my life where I want other people to be one step behind me as I follow Christ? And if not, what needs to change? And many times, it's prideful, selfish areas that we've yet to give up to Jesus to align us to be the way he would have us be. Chapter 5, as we move through. Deal with sin in the church. Uh, this chapter began, began with that odd situation where a son, a, a man was having a relationship with his stepmom, right? And Paul's like, 
Why haven't you removed this guy from your, from your congregation? He's like, what's the problem? What, what are you not seeing here that's just like, even the pagans know this guy should not be a part of the group. He's pretty bold in this section. But the beauty of this component, I put deal with sin in the church because what is the goal? Verse 5.5. Five. Remove him so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord when Christ returns. This is called tough love. This is called we're not going to enable ongoing sin to happen in the church. Which means there are some phone calls from a friend, an elder, a sister, or a brother. And you're like, why are you all up in my business? It's because your Christian was not very Christian. It was not very Jesus-like, and it needs to stop. You should not continue doing it. And if you continue doing it, you are not welcome here until you recognize the pain of being removed is worse than your desire to keep doing that sin, and then we want to welcome you back in to this community. Not because we have some sort of like gavels on the day of judgment for one another, but because Jesus does. And we care enough for one another. And the goal is reconciliation. Why? Because all of us have had to experience this. Paul is sarcastic with them. He has talked to them about how they have it all together, but they are so far away. We're to care for each other who call ourselves Christians. We should expect that God uses the community, the body of Christ to, in a sense, self-police for the hope of not punishment, but for the hope of reconciliation. Our hope is that we save one another. And you may be like, I don't do that, Dave. I don't, I don't get involved in other people's you know, sins and business and all that. My hope is that you would change. My hope is that you would love a brother and sister in this room that you know of an ongoing sin that is pulling them away from their faith in, in Jesus and you would say, I should not do that. I should step in. I should be a loving, gentle voice that will help them. Just patting each other on the back and say, do better next time for dozens of dozen times is not what most of us need. Most of us need a healthy friend, a father, a mother, if you will, spiritually, to say, hey, you're running away from Jesus, and this is bad. Chapter 6, right into two things that don't seem like they go together at all. Lawsuits and sexual immorality, okay? The lawsuit chapter, what's the key here? I think if you remember, I think Jess borrowed my camper in this example. What do we do? Do we sue one another as Christians? What's the key to this? The answer is no. We don't sue each other. And what's the key? Verses 6, 7. Why not suffer wrong than go into the public as two Christians fighting? Isn't it better just to sacrifice whatever money is involved for the sake of the glory of God in the name of Jesus? This is his point here. Is that Jesus and his name and his glory and, and what people think about the church, it's, it's better for you just to be humble and just back off and say, I'll, just, I'll take this one for the team. That's maturity, right? That's... Humility, right? That's thinking there's a greater good than your justice in that moment. And here's the beauty of this. Jesus suffered wrong. He modeled it for us because there was a greater good. All of our salvation. And my hope that we're a church like that. If you're with non-believers and the church begins to look ugly, which makes God look ugly, and you have control of just stepping back and go, I think we should stop talking about this. I'm good. We're good. Just suffer wrong. I promise you the reward 
and the way God looks and the honor, the honorable decision that is, will be rewarded in eternity. In the second half of that chapter, Paul brings up this major sin, sexual immorality. Those who are choosing to live their life, they're, they're living their life against the ways of God. There's a list of others, but sexual immorality includes adultery, fornication, which is sex before marriage, homosexuality, prostitution, pornography, mental fantasies. These people struggled. We struggle. Here's the beauty of this passage. He says, this is what you were. This is what you were. 6.11. And such were some of you. But what happened? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord God. This is the message that he wants to tell them. It does not mean that if you've done sins, you're destined for hell. It does mean if you've done sins and you're not washed, you're destined for hell. And this is why Paul continues through the letter to go, where are you today? Have you turned? Have you chosen to accept the forgiveness of Jesus and to walk in the truth of your forgiveness? Or are you just stuck? Because a life of these things displays that you do not follow Jesus. And that should be humble for all of us. Chapter 7, he moves from lawsuits, sexual immorality, to marriage. A man should have a wife. We believe this in our church, that a wife should have a husband. This is the way God designed it. They should not deprive each other relationally unless they agree upon some time. Because a lot of this passage is about passion. If you can be single, stay single. Many of my friends and many people that I know, they want to get married because they passionately want to be connected to a spouse. And Paul says, in that case, be connected with the one spouse. Wives, don't separate. Men, don't divorce. Work it out. If there is divorce, he says, stay unmarried. These are hard things. These are, these are like lifelong decisions that we make. These are complicated. But the goal here is, I hope you, you hear this in this chapter. Marriage is good. Some, in, Paul, in this day, some are saying marriage was bad. Paul's saying marriage is good. The two leave their father and mother. They become one flesh. That's good. Passion's good. Agreed upon, breaks, makes sense, but take care of each other. That's good. If for any reason it breaks up, try to get back together. But stay unmarried if you can't. Unless, of course, there's abandonment or death, right? In one other place in the Bible, we see if, the, um, if there's adultery, if there's an affair involved. We see that from Jesus. But very rarely should there be divorce. But there's lots of divorce even in this room. And many of our parents, the people in this room, like we understand that. But there's a chapter in the Bible about marriage that I think follows the teachings of Paul and Jesus in the way God intended. There is a reason why when we have vows, just like Lindsay and Dylan stood here and says, till death do us part, yes. I want to be married to you until the worst thing happens and God takes you away. My hope for us is that we work in our marriages. My hope for us is fighting and, and, and causing wounds to your spouse. Um, they were what we did. But we were washed, right? And we turned and we began to learn and talk and care for and give and live lives of sacrifice. And I think this is just good for all the unmarried people in the room. 
marriage will bring trouble and anxieties, in case you were worried about that. He's very clear. Marriage will bring some trouble and anxieties. In your singleness, run as long as you can be single for the glory of God. As you're single and you're single-minded on the ways of the Lord, run until God tells you to have a spouse. Chapter 8, we're going to run through these pretty quick. Don't cause others to stumble. This was the meat sacrifice to idols chapter. Um, So the idea here was, um, um, well, let's just begin with verses 8-6. This is just like, just a true statement right in the middle of 1 Corinthians. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. 8-6, essential theology statement in the middle of 1 Corinthians. There's one God. So if that's the true statement, which Paul's communicating, when meat is sacrificed to a statue, Paul is saying, that doesn't mean anything. That was uh, abracadabra Harry Potter, right? Like that was, sorry, Lindsay, I was just kidding. But, it, but, it's, but it's like, but it it's, it's, doesn't mean anything. But, but if you have a brother who is weak and struggle with idol worship and sacrificing meat to idols, and they're like, ah, you I don't know if you should eat that. And you're like, okay, I see that your conscience is going to be pushed here or there. I will choose to not eat this delicious steak because I care about you. So this is the point. Sometimes in this world, we may think as Christians that we can do this or that. But if we do this or that, a second sin might actually be the issue. Not the original sin of like choosing to eat the meat or not. But now you're not loving your brother. And that's a sin. And because we can't just live alone by ourselves in a hole somewhere, God says interact with one another, care for other people, be around other people. Now you have opinions that might affect your freedoms. Can you be humble enough to go, I love you so much, I'm sorry. I, I know I prepared this or bought this from the idol guy. He hit 50% off stuff. You know, it was great. Um, but because that that affects you in a negative way, I don't want to hurt you. We will just toss it. Now, what environments can that be for today in our culture? Oh, my goodness. From, from entertainment to just name your thing. But as you begin to live life alongside people, you cannot say, the Bible says I can do this. I don't care about you. You might got one thing right, but you got the other thing wrong. And that's going to move us into a later chapter. Uh, Chapter 9, remove all obstacles. You can see where this 8 and 9 tie together. There's an obstacle there. Like my my meal choices is affecting my discipleship with you. So then Paul goes into even this idea of does he take money? He's a traveling pastor. Does he take offerings when he goes from church to church to church? He says no, because I don't want any of those funds or people thinking I'm doing this for anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So this idea of in your life, continuing with eight, are you removing any obstacles in your life for other people's development? In verse 922, if you see that there, Go down to 9.22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. So part of this life is are you living your life, removing any obstacles so that some people in your life can find Jesus? Or are you like, I'm a Christian, I do Christian stuff, and God's happy with me. My hope is that you have your eyes open. You look through the lens of the gospel and see needs around you. And clearly it's, it starts muddying up stuff because now you've got to care about people's opinions and all. Yes, that's what God is saying. Love one another. Care for one another. Paul 
became, talked, went to new places, tried to assimilate so that he would win some to Jesus, knowing that it's God who does the growing. Chapter 10. God is faithful. Live for his glory. Like two-thirds of the way through this, he just lists off the, the like Old Testament stories where Israel failed. And he said, why did you write this? For your instruction. This is why it's written down. So we don't follow that model. That we stay connected to God. But here's the beauty. Verse 10, 13. God is is faithful. Amen? That's good. Because we're not. But God is faithful. We keep finding the Old Testament. God keeps showing up and pursuing them. And in your life right now, if you're like, hey, yeah, there's things in that list that I currently do. I need to be washed in the blood and focus on Jesus and all this. It's like, yeah, God is faithful to continue to remind you. You came to a church on this beautiful Sunday morning, and you're hearing the truth. God is faithful. And even in that, when there's temptation in your life, God's going to be there with you. He'll be faithful. Choose the way of God. In 1031, very famous passage. You should know it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God is what you're going to say. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all Eat or drink, simple things like that. Sometimes teenagers will ask me, boys will go, Dave, how far is too far with my girlfriend? That's a, that's a good question for a teenager, right? And I say, well, uh, can you do that to the glory of God with her? They're like, ooh. <laughs> Use that, it's good. Use that. <laughs> All right, chapter 11, right worship. This idea of dress and Lord's Supper. So the dress thing was like hair and how you present yourself. And the goal here is when you come to worship, when you, I would say when you're engaging in any sort of spiritual activities, like if you're more worried what you look like on the outside than what you're doing on the inside, you're missing what worship is about. And that's chapter 11. So when you're thinking about that, like how are you presenting yourself? My hope is that you're working on their heart more than you're working on the outward appearance. And then verses 11, 17 through 34 talks about the, the Lord's Supper. And the key there, we're about to take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, is as a Christian, you must take the Lord's Supper. He's like, this is what you should do. You should remember me, right? But when you take it, you have to get right with people as you get right with God. Okay, so what God's saying is, I'm going to give you this rhythm as you gather that includes you must get right with one another. Do you see what God's doing there? He's saying, practice getting right with each other. It's what you must do. Stop being divided. Stop, being, stop fighting. Be unified. And my hope is, is that when you take communion, you consider your relationships. Sometimes those people are not in the room, but sending texts, sending out prayers, maybe crossing the room if they're in the room, and then come and take the Lord's Supper. Get right with people as you get right with God. Chapter 12, spiritual gifts, right? They are for the community. They are for the community. 12, 12 through 31, he kind of connects this idea of, hey, you're gifted with this, you're gifted with that, you're gifted with this. First of all, they're gifts, so you can't boast about them. God chose to give you those gifts. Secondly, we're one body and need to work together. If one rejoices, rejoice. If one hurts, hurt. We're connected. You don't get to be a floating uh, body part off to the side by yourself because you don't like to be connected to this body. What God wants you to do is stay connected and help solve the problems. This is what the direction is here. So spiritual gifts, they're from God for the betterment of the body. If your spiritual gift is used for your own personal betterment, you're breaking it. You're not using it correctly, which will, of course, be the next chapter in a second. The reason why he does this is so there, there's no division that we should care for each other. 1225 says that. Chapter 13. 
last few chapters, and then we'll close with communion. So chapter 13, Paul's recognized that he's dealing with pretty immature people. And they're speaking in tongues. They're doing great things in the name of Jesus, but they're doing it for themselves, to build up themselves. So he uses this specific attribute of God, a very powerful attribute of God, called love. And if you're doing these things that's not caring about other people, then you're actually nothing. You're act- it's kind of like the word worthless. You're, you're, you're not doing anything for God. And my hope is, as you may have already known that, that 1 Corinthians 13 is a love chapter. It's got a lot of, of words that connect to love in the way true love is. You should know those words. Patient and kind and all these things. But that you would desire to have a life that regularly checks your heart and not feel like, hey, my feet went here, so God's proud of me. Your feet can go here. Your feet can actually go to, to die for the name of Jesus and still be worthless based on this passage because your heart was wrong. Maybe we a church that we're constantly just, God, seek inside me. Am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I being humble? Seek love above all. Chapter 14, sticking with this idea of tongues and prophecy that he's been bringing up. Prophecy is better than tongues. Have some orderly worship. Prophecy is this idea of um, Holy Spirit-inspired instruction that we instruct one another. We should help each other. We should listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying through God's Word, and we should give it away to other people. Tongues kind of tend to build up self. Look how cool I am. The Spirit, I'm saying a bunch of cool stuff. Maybe there's an interpreter or not. Prophecy is Holy Spirit inspired instruction that's good for the whole body. But the goal is that worship would increase as this section in verse 25 kind of draws to a close. That's the hope. It's like, 25 is like, hey, my hope is that people will see Jesus when they gather around neighborhood church. Paul's saying that it was for the church in Corinth. So for orderly worship, verse 26 and following is that when you come to church, there should be some order. You guys are fantastic. Almost too good at it, right? Like you just pay attention. Way to go, right? It's like that's not always the case in our worship services, Right? Maybe we could bring this message back to the middles, right, in the back, kids, right? It's like, hey, there's times where it's like, a little more order, kids, right? But my hope is, is that you would see uh, the beginning of this section says, when you come to church, um, you should bring something. You should not just come to absorb. You should come to get, but you also should come to give. And that's my hope for each person that's connected to our church, is that you would see this is kind of a breathing, come receive, but also come and give. And this ended with that whole idea of that wives should be silent in the church verse that was specific to the idea of wives should not speak against their husbands in church. So wives, if you're going to speak against your husband publicly, um, be silent. That's, that, that's how I would translate that. That was that, if you guys remember that day. That's that specific passage in 34. Chapter 15. Got two left, guys. Two left. Then we'll have lunch. Okay. Not here or anywhere you want, but I don't have lunch for you or anything. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 15. The gospel remembered. When you're thinking of in the Bible, when you think in the Bible, where's the gospel just kind of explained? Like, I would just love to know a place where, like, it's just real clear. Like, even, like, the story a little bit is just explained. Paul does it at the end of his letter here in 15. 15, 3 through 8. And when you hear gospel that Jesus Christ died for the sins and he he resurrected and he ascended and and many people saw him when you hear this story you got to remember you have to hear it but you also have to believe it and commit to it you can't just know the information satan and the demons saw it all happen but they're lost you have to hear it believe it and commit to it 
And then this whole section, we had multiple weeks on the resurrection. Resurrection of Jesus, our resurrection, our resurrection bodies. Paul's kind of coming to this excitement of, hey, it's going to be worth it all. There's a lot of giving up and caring for other people and, uh, you know, you know, removing your rights so other people could have a good life. And all these things, left, right, you know, win some. So do this. There's good news. There is reward. There is celebration. In the same way Jesus was resurrected from the dead, each and every person who trusts Christ in their life gets to live forever with God in heaven. In the second coming from 1556, next few verses, there's going to be victory. Satan will be defeated. And those on the side of the family of God will be victors along with them. So be encouraged, be steadfast is how he ends that chapter. And then chapter 16, a whole week ago, right? The whole week ago, this is what we talked about. Care generously and relationally and love. Paul's leaving. He's taking up offerings for other churches, this idea of living generously. And he's also saying, hey, I, I'm going to come to you again. Because this is a letter, right? He he's, doesn't have a Zoom call. So it's like he's got to come visit them. And he's like, I want to come and not just like pop in. I want to spend time with you. And last week we talked about that as a church. Let's be a church who wants to spend time together. Be generous, spend time together. And how does he close? Well, he closes with stand firm, keep loving, keep loving. In the last few verses, he says, in contrast, if there's no love, then you'll be removed. You'll be banned. You'll be cursed. So love. Lord, come. Lord, come. We're about to celebrate that in a second. So what are Dave's final thoughts as I spent the week just rereading in my Bible, just paragraph by paragraph, not preparing any specific sermon, but just like, what is Paul saying? What do we learn? Here's four things. I'm going to put them on the screen for you. Love the Lord. Boast only in the Lord. Jesus Christ, Him crucified. John 3.16. There's things that are first. Our mission statement, love God. That's the beginning. This is where we start. Secondly, love others above yourself. Care about people in the church. Treat them like family who needs help. Not like enemies who are out to hurt you. And care about them enough to give them tough love so they can be reconciled to God. Even if they don't like you, may they love God, right? Thirdly, love your lost friends, neighbors, strangers. Act in a way that even you might give up obstacles and freedoms that would hinder them so that some of them will be saved. The hope. That's the hope. So love God, love your church family, love the lost, and lastly, we will all be rewarded in a victory for being identified with Jesus, but more specifically, what we choose to do in this life. Will we live for our own glory and cause divisions around us? Or we live for the glory of God and cause unity and the salvation of others. Let's pray. Paul, thank, uh, Jesus, thank you for Paul. I'm not praying to Paul. Jesus, thank you for Paul. Thank you for the work and his letter to the church in Corinth that has encouraged Christians for generation after generation. Father, my desire is that as we read your word, we care about what you say, and it's life-giving, even though it's hard. And as we just drank from a fire hose, this panoramic of an entire book of your word, there's lots of feelings in this room. There's lots of places where people feel, where we have needs of change. May we feel those appropriately. May we repent this morning. Jesus, may you encourage across this room. May you encourage them for the areas that they're doing right in seeking unity and following you and trying to recognize that they are washed 
in the blood of Jesus, that they are forgiven, and they are running towards you better than they've ever done in their whole life. May you encourage them this morning. I pray for anyone in the room that's never looked through a book of your Bible like this before, or somebody who's even visiting not a Christian yet, that they would consider the truths of your word, and yet your word and the power of your spirit will change them and soften their heart, and they will desire to have a relationship with you, and they will tell somebody about it. Jesus says we go to your table, and we remember you once more as a family. May we get right with one another as we get right with you. It's in your name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, right before the cross, he had a meal with his disciples. And at this meal, he decides to use it as a pattern for churches to come to remember the very night of his death. This idea that his body was going to be broken, that his blood was going to be shed, not for his own punishment, but for our punishment, not from a man, but from God. So in the trays, there's two cups. You'll take both cups when you come forward. The bottom cup will have a cracker, and the top will have some juice in it. And on this night, he took the bread and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And like it, he, he took the cup. And I'm sure he saw just this, this liquid in this cup, thinking of his own blood about to be shed. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant for all people who will follow me. As often as you drink this, remember me. And as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And may he return soon. So Christians, this morning, consider what you heard this morning. Consider what God would have for you. Take a moment and pray. And then come forward and enjoy forgiveness from Jesus. Come eat, drink, and remember.